been six months since our life changed forever, and it feels like every single day we are learning and experience something totally new. I often think how best to describe the feeling of being a parent, and I think that word is wonder. Being a parent makes me see the world in wonder. The other morning, Daisy caught my gaze for a moment and just held it. I looked into her eyes and thought how familiar they were and how similar they were to her mother's. I wondered how I'd ever gone a day without knowing her and felt homesick at the thought of her absence. I felt together with her, like the lines that made us separate had vanished and the parts of us that truly mattered were totally connected. In that moment, my mind had no unanswered questions. I knew why I was here, what I was doing on this crazy planet and what my purpose was. It was to love her. I thought a little about what things could be like in 10 years and how lucky I am to be part of her story. I tried to remind myself not to lose sight of the gift and the hustle of everyday strains. I've seen enough to know it's all too easy. I often wonder who will teach who more. So far she's taught me more than words could say. I just want to teach her to be happy. I want her to know she is loved without conditions. Today Daisy woke up at 5am and as I came into her room she smiled from ear to ear. I remember not feeling tired anymore. I remember feeling like I could stay awake a lifetime. I remember feeling like in that moment I was more alive than I'd ever been before. It felt like all my youthful and misguided attempts at finding ecstasy fell away in comparison to the power and intensity of those three seconds. I felt at peace and I felt complete. I often think about God when I'm with Daisy. I think I understand the love Christians speak about when she's in my arms. I think I only really understood the meaning of grace the moment I first heard she was on her way. I thank God endlessly for her, and I thank God endlessly for us. Sometimes I drift into thoughts of how my parents might have felt the first time I stayed out late alone. I think the moment you have a child, the way you see your parents changes. I suddenly see all the joy, the fear, and the trepidation. I want to be just like my parents, and I wonder if Daisy would say the same. There is so much evil in the world, but every moment I look at Daisy, I'm overwhelmed with love. With her, I understand heaven. I'm with her, I am home. Oh, with her, I understand heaven. With her, I am home. I, I find this guy's video. I just happened to come across it on YouTube, searching for parenting clips. And I just find it so powerful and with such uh, deep and profound insights and the way he was just able to articulate kind of that season of parenting and the magic of wonder. And uh, I'm excited to continue this series, Launching Rockets, because uh, several of you here have been through this. You've launched your rockets. Uh, some of you might be uh, still kind of um, trying to do some course corrections, maybe. Um, and then some of us, we're just starting. Our little rockets are just, uh, just running around in the back kids' church room. And then others... Um, you might never have kids, you might choose not to have kids, but this series doesn't just apply strictly to parents. That is the focus, but it's also, it's just for anyone who wants to impact and influence the next generation. A lot of these principles apply because we've been looking at more guideposts and observations rather than strictly parenting advice because we've said it several times, there is no parenting expert. Parenting expert is an oxymoron. And for even those who've gone through this and your kids are doing modestly well, uh, good on you. We want to learn some things from you. But there's some things that you did that just won't work for us and vice versa. So we just want to continue to look at these guideposts tonight 
and I'm actually changing things up a bit. Uh, the last few weeks, or the last two weeks, we've looked at a few guideposts, and tonight, I, I just kept coming down to this one guidepost, and we'll kind of unpack that. But the message that kept sticking with me for tonight was that the greatest gift we can give our kids is to be fully alive ourselves. And I think that this almost is the beginning of the conversation, even though we're a few weeks into it already. But it, it starts with being fully alive ourselves and understanding what that means, what that looks like. So the first week we looked at uh, the guideposts of enjoying your kids, logging the hours, discerning who this kid wants to be, and extending yourself grace. And then the second week we talked about don't exasperate your kid. Tap into the power of your kid's true identity. Say yes to your kid as much as possible. And shift from control to influence. And again, extend yourself grace. And I wasn't planning on ending each evening with extend yourself grace, but it just flows naturally, especially in the, the parenting cycle and season that I'm in right now, to just kind of remember, I need grace. Uh, I'll admit, last week we talked about uh, not telling our kids, like, why, why do you do that? But kind of saying, like, that's not what we do, because we're talking about shame and guilt and worthiness. And, and Sunday... I was telling Landon, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And suddenly he did what we were asking him not to. And I picked him up and put him in the corner. And I'm like, why do you do this? And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> so I'm learning just as much through this series. And it, it's a hard one. It, it's, we're not going to do this perfect. And I think that's the scary yet exciting part of this journey is that our parents, they did their best with the resources they had and their understanding that they knew at the time. And they, they had the best intentions and they, they tried to do their best. And we might pick apart some of the things and say, I wish this and that. But our kids one day are going to be sitting there having the same conversation and thinking, saying the same things about us. So that's where I just really want to continue to lean on, extend yourself grace. And it also hit me that that's what it means to be the church, to, to gather as the church, is to be this community that recognizes our constant need of grace and to keep coming back to the table and remembering the hope of Jesus, remembering the work of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. When we come together, when we sing, when we pray, when we give, when we take time to connect with one another and connect with God, that's when we remember all is grace. And when we remember that all is grace, we can extend that to all areas of our life. We can extend it to our marriages, to our friends, our exes, our coworkers, our parents, our kids, anyone who has ever hurt us. Grace. Which kind of brings out the importance of this parenting series again, that it also comes down to relationship. As much as our, our kids, they'll have their individual personalities, they'll be able to make choices, they'll, they'll have experienced experiences that may or may not be out of our control. What matters is relationships. I think sometimes our culture tells us that we need to work our butt off 
to provide our kids with the best experiences and get them in the best schools. And, and you might be even at the park and you already feel behind that your kid's not registered in the best arts program for high school. And it's like, my kid hasn't started elementary school yet. Relationships matter. By far, when people reflect back on their life and, and they, they look over the years, what matters is the relationships that they had or perhaps what hangs with them and, and causes them some pain is the relationships that they didn't have. Perhaps it was with the, the dad who was just too hard on his kids or worked all the time or the mom who is away or busy doing other things. Relationships matter. As much as we're sitting here trying to talk and learn too about how to be the best parents we can be and to learn how to parent well, it also hit me this week that as much as we're teaching our kids, I believe our kids have also been given to us to teach us something. As much as I learned on Sunday, as soon as I went against everything I preached about on Saturday night, I'm like, man, I'm learning this too. This is my first time launching the rocket, and this is my son's first time being launched as a rocket. But this is why it's great to start with these guideposts. Start with being a parent, being a role model, being an influencer, rather than pure parenting advice for what worked for some. Because we're all learning, we're all figuring this out together. Parenting, it's complex. But as we share with one another, as we have one another for support, we can find joy in parenting. We can find joy in raising the next generation and seeing how they grow up to influence, change, and transform the world. But I believe that the discussion actually begins with us. I believe it begins with how we see ourselves, which then affects how we see our kids. So the greatest gift that you can give your kid is to be fully alive yourself. Psalm 37 verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's this personalization of our relationship with Jesus. As, as much as it's a communal experience, it's also a personal Experience, And it's something that your kids can sniff out. If you're not taking delight in the Lord, if you're not enjoying life, if you're not enjoying things, your kids know it if you're trying to tell them otherwise. You see, I'm somewhat uneasy saying this because of all the different nuances to this, but I'm going to say it this way. You have the choice and the power to create life. You can choose life. And I know there's a lot of philosophical elements that might be able to unpack that more and, and, and do we really have the choice, but I believe, yes, God has given us choice to choose life. We can choose good or we can choose bad. And God, in fact, opened my eyes to the destructive life that I was choosing to live. And I distinctly remember him showing me on the New Year's bringing in 2007 that I had the choice and the ability to influence my friends towards this destructive life that I was living and that I was leading them toward. Or I had the ability 
and, and, uh, and influence to lead them toward Jesus and who he is. And it was that moment, at, I don't know what time in the morning on New Year's Day of 2007 that was, but it was that moment I made a decision to go into ministry. I, I quit my job here in Hamilton. I had chosen to go down the accounting path, and, and I chose to, to pursue this life that was so foreign to me. And my family didn't grow up in ministry. In fact, I was working for a family business. And I was scared to death. But there was also something exciting with it. About jumping into this, this life that I, I felt I, I had the ability to live life the fullest. See, your kid knows whether or not you're living your life or whether or not it's happening to you. Now, for me, some of my big decisions came before having kids, which makes it a little bit easier. Because with kids brings responsibility. But your kids know whether you're living life or if it's happening to you. So are you cynical? Is there something that you've always wanted to do but you haven't? Why not? Do they see you living the best life possible? Do they see you taking care of yourself? Do they see you taking all of your vacation days? Are you facing your pain and darkness and doubt and owning your story? Because again, the greatest gift that we can give our kids, that, that we can give others and influence others, is to be fully alive ourselves. And people pick up on it. People know whether or not you believe this or if it's something that you're just going through. An author, Mary Jo Letty, in her book, Radical Gratitude, she writes, what we say with our words is so much less important than what we mean with our lives. Only our lives can give weight to our words. Some people, they, they choose to live in smaller homes so that their bills won't be burdensome. One of our neighbors, actually, they downsized from the house they were living in because they wanted to be able to have more funds to go overseas and go on missions trips with their family. Some people quit their jobs. They make drastic life changes because they know that this is where the life is. And sometimes people don't do these things because they're terrified it will disrupt your life or if you have kids, that it will disrupt your kids. But with that, sometimes parents are slowly dying because they think, well, this is better for the kid. But let me just say, your, your kid is more resilient than you realize. It's never better for the kid for you to be cynical or for you to give up on your dreams or for your heart to be hardening. Your kid is probably way more up for the sacrifices than you realize. Now, there are times that you do need to make sacrifices. That is part of being a parent and being responsible for another person and other lives. I can't go do this now because I'm a parent or I can't make these spending decisions. For example, the other week I'd been selling stuff on Kijiji so I could afford an Apple Watch. And I told Amanda, all right, I have enough for an Apple Watch. And she's like, well, our kids need A, B, and C. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> I'm like, why would you have to tell me they need winter boots? Because I'm going to feel bad if I have my watch. And I'm like, okay, Siri, remind me to get winter boots next season. <laughs> but I know it's so stupid. But that, that's just a tiny sacrifice. 
But sometimes sacrifices, they, they actually allow us to live fully alive. An Apple Watch, that, that's not really a sacrifice. That's, can't afford it, let's get the kids boots. But sometimes we need to make sacrifices in order to be alive. Like the, our neighbors out in BC, when they downsized from their home in order to be able to take their family on missions trips. Uh, that's a sacrifice of living in a smaller space, living in smaller quarters in order to live fully alive. That's where they felt God was calling them and leading them and inviting them. But I think part of the problem is when we give up on some of our dreams or give up on some of our goals, which is rooted in settling, not so much about being fully alive. Or perhaps another way of looking at it is when we live out of a place of fear rather than out of a place of life. So as we continue to unpack this, what it means to be fully alive, the first thing I thought was this, this is something I've been going through for the past several years, and it's about naming your fears. It's natural to have fear, and I believe it's even more natural to have fear as a parent because you suddenly have this precious life and you feel so responsible for it. I still remember when Landon was born, April 30th, about a half an hour before midnight, and there were all these doctors and nurses in the room and it was utter chaos and it, it, he's delivered and we have this baby and then all of a sudden I turn around and it's like everyone disappeared. And Amanda's there, Landon's there, and I'm just like, oh my word. Like, I was scared, and Amanda went to get cleaned up to go to bed, and, and I went down to the nurse's station, and I just said, so what, what do I do now? And they just laughed at me, and they said, we'll be there in a few minutes to help you out. But I had no idea. Like, all of a sudden, this kid's laying here, and I was terrified. I was responsible for someone else. But you know what? Fear isn't a bad thing. It's an emotion, and emotions are literally meant to move us. Emotion. It's this, it, fear tells us something. Sometimes fear is trying to protect us. Sometimes it's trying to guard us. But it's usually indicating it wants us to move. It wants to help us move. But part of, fully, but part of living fully alive also requires us to pay attention to when those fears come up. We need to lean into them. Try, try not to hide from them. And we need to begin by naming these fears. Because when we do this, when we name our fears, when we name our sins, our failures, when we own up to them, we describe them as clearly as we're able to. We pass through them into this new life on the other side. You see, by naming our fears, we face the worst about ourselves. We say, what's, what's the worst that can happen? What, what if all of this comes true? We face that and we come out on the other side. We, we end up owning the fear. And when, when we name it and when we describe it, it actually takes away its power. And this is why I believe the resurrection is so central to the gospel that we have. It's so central to the Jesus story because he faces the worst that can happen to a person. And he comes out on the other side. He comes out alive and in this new way. And we're invited to step into this this resurrection life, this resurrection power, this life with Jesus that allows us to be fully alive. 
Because even Jesus says in John 10, 10, I've come to give life and life to the fullest. He's offering us this life. And it's not this false strength that we gain. It's not this posing or posturing or pretending. But it's this quiet, humble, grounded strength that's done the hard work of facing our most troubling inner torments and watching them be transformed into these sources of vitality, these sources of life. This is the new life that Jesus offers us when he says, I came to bring life and life to the fullest. He journeys with us through our pain. He promises to be with us in our suffering and our fears, and he transforms them into sources of life so that we can live lives that are fully alive. And that's why it's so important that this, this journey really does come down to our relationship. What's our relationship like with, with God, with our Heavenly Father? Because this will impact how we parent. This will impact how we influence others and in the next generation. So don't be afraid of fear. Fear plays a, a role in helping us protect our kids. Like if you come home and your kid's somehow on the roof, it's like, okay, good thing to be afraid. Uh, but if it's just you're at the playground and you're afraid that there's this new school of thought and learning and it's going to impact them this way, but they're not in this school yet. And I believe there's things, true fears and false fears. True fears are the kid on top of your house. Or false fears are these, these what-ifs, these, these things we play in our mind. And I, and I think the thing we need to be afraid or be careful with, with false fears is that we often tend to give these fears equal weight, but I don't think they deserve that. I think we need to back up and ask what's true here. Because fear, especially this, the false fear and this what-if fear, I think it makes it hard to be present, makes it hard to be in the moment. Because fear is fundamentally about what happens in the future. What if this happens? What if they don't get into the good school or make the sports team? So you're not actually here because you're also thinking about what's ahead. Fear splits you from the present moment. I believe this is why scripture is filled with the command, don't fear. It's not about feeling your fear. It's about not being controlled by your fear. It's about being present. So Philippians 4 verse 6, it says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God. Don't be owned by fear. Don't be controlled by it. But you can name it. You can give it to God. Give it away and take away its power. Because you'll never run out of things that people can make you scared about. It, it's amazing. You go on the, the Facebook groups or you just hang out at the park for a bit. And everyone's fears just naturally come out. And things that you didn't even think of, suddenly you're thinking, oh, yeah, I should be a little more afraid about that. So you might need to develop a system or a scale that will help you gauge, help you navigate what's a true fear, what's a false fear, or how much weight should I give to each. Or you may need to come up with a mantra such as, it's no big deal, and just keep repeating that to yourself over and over again. And for, for those of you uh, who are married and have both parents at home too, you can spell each other off. I find Amanda and I are good at that. Sometimes she'll be afraid of something and I can kind of say, it's okay, he's going to be fine. 
or some other times she's the one that has to calm me down. And so I'm like, what? But I think what's amazing is that we can name these fears and we can bring them before our Heavenly Father who promises to be with us, to sit with us, to walk through this journey with us. And he's actually already on the other side too, inviting us into this resurrection life, into this life to the fullest. But let me also suggest that it's important that we work through our stuff. We all have stuff and we all have different things that uh, we could really use some time processing and reflecting on and and man I, I try I still have a lot of stuff but the reason I think it's important that we work through our stuff is so that our kids don't have to work through our stuff as well as their stuff because they're going to have their own little issues too but we don't want to burden them down and weigh them down with the weight of the stuff we were too afraid to work through so every little step that you take into freedom into life into joy into fullness is one more thing that your kid won't have to work on later. Because you see, each step toward life deeply affects the home for your kids. Because as a parent, what we do is we make space. And whatever owns your thoughts, if it's fears, worries, anxieties, whatever owns that thought comes into that space. And it, it, it impacts the space that we call home. And your kid knows this. They're often more aware of it before we even are. Saturdays in our home, as I'm preparing for church, our kids pick up on it. And sometimes Amanda and I are kind of like, ah, let's stay out of each other's way. And why are our kids so crazy today? I know why. They're, they're picking up on this underlying stress, whether we realize it, it's there or not. But they're often aware of it well before we are. But each step toward hope, toward fullness, toward joy, it will be felt, it will be absorbed, and it will be experienced. Which brings me to our next step in living lives that are fully alive. We need to be emotionally available to connect with our kids. There's a myth that we, we kind of believe that our lives are going to be figured out and they're going to be wholehearted once we have kids. But we know that's not true. But I know that, that going into it, you think life is going to be this, this perfect picture. And Amanda and I, one of our guilty pleasures is we watch The Bachelor and Bachelorette. Don't judge me. <laughs> but the, the funniest times is when you see these couples on a date talking about what their future will be like. And I still remember this one couple... And they're sitting on their white couch, drinking a glass of wine, this lasagna in the oven, and they're talking about when their kids will be there, just playing in front of them, oh so nicely. And I'm thinking, are you out of your mind? Like, you won't be on a white couch drinking wine, and oven, the dinner will be burning in the oven. Like, it won't be this picture-perfect thing. But there are seasons in parenting, and they can be hard and... You can't wait to get through them. You can't wait for them to pass. And that's okay. Much like naming our fears, the more you can name the season, the more you'll know it's just a season. But if you tell yourself that you're a terrible person or you're a terrible parent, you're not doing a good enough job, you're not helping yourself or the kid. 
Because what you tell yourself about the job that you're doing is incredibly important. Brené Brown, who I've quoted before, she's an author and research professor who studies vulnerability and shame. She has this controversial claim, but she says that we can't love our kids more than we love ourselves. And she takes heat for it, but she sticks by this statement that we can't love our kids more than we love ourselves. And I think it's this whole idea of, again, making sure we're taking care of ourselves so that we can help our kids live life to the fullest. But if we're not living life to the fullest, how are we going to help them? It's this, that whole analogy with the airplane. And when the oxygen masks come down, they tell you to put yours on first before helping the people next to you. Because if you run out of oxygen, well, it's no good to anyone else. The most profound moments that we have with our kids that shape who they are and who we are happen within a place of vulnerability and emotional availability. When we see our kids in pain, our first response is to step in to fix it. Even for myself, if I'm, if I'm experiencing pain or fear or any uncomfortability, my instinct is either to fix it or to numb it. Go to Netflix and watch another season of Friends for the umpteenth time and love that show. <laughs> but I don't like to sit with my pain. And I don't think most of us do. It is uncomfortable. Our pain and our kids' pain. So we want to jump in and fix it. But I like what Brené Brown shares in her book, Imperfect Parenting. She urges us to learn compassion and to sit with our emotions, to learn how. And she writes, compassion is knowing your darkness well enough that you can sit in the dark with others. And that's a pretty profound statement, that, that you know yourself well enough that you can sit there with others. Because the thing is, if you're not emotionally available, if you, if you don't understand your own darkness, then you're going to try and get out of it as much as you can. You're going to try and fix the problems for your kids. You're going to try and heal the situations, fix the situations. But I think when we actually understand those fears, we've named them, and, and we can say, this is uncomfortable, but I'm going to be here with you. We can help our kids explore their emotions and learn how to sit with it. So it's not about healer and wounded, but it's, it's this place of coming side by side as equals. And in doing this, we learn that pain doesn't kill us, but numbing pain kills people every minute of every day. There are so many people who are just going through life, just trying to numb one thing after another. And it, it's just reminding me of a funny tweet that I read a while back, where after you've been watching Netflix for a while, it says, are you still watching this? Like, press OK to continue. Someone tweeted, like, do you think I fixed my life in two hours? Like, <laughs> and I'm just like, that's the thing. We go there to escape. And sometimes it's okay when we know that, when we know that, okay, I just need some time to, to not have to carry this at the moment. That's okay. But if we're doing it unconsciously, it's hard to teach our kids then how to, how to sit with their emotions or to even be emotionally available for them. So in this article I read this past week, a doctor suggested some ways that we can be emotionally available to connect with our kids and to teach them self-regulation and social skills. And he, he lists four things 
And he says, turn off your phones until your kids are in bed to avoid digital distraction. And this one, Amanda actually did. iOS 12 came out for the iPhone, and you can actually schedule downtime in your phone. And she's blocked off from 4 to 7 p.m. And, and I'm kind of like, okay, you're crazy, as I sat on the couch playing games on my phone. But as I was especially preparing this week, I realized, I'm like, I'm not as present as I should be or as I need to be with my kids through the, those hours from 5 to 7. Um, and I'm just trying to pass time until sometimes it's bedtime. So I, I did go on this week, and I, I've scheduled it from 5 to 7 that I, all the apps other than my phone shut down on, on my phone. So turn off the phones until kids are in bed to avoid digital distraction. Uh, the other thing is to become your ch child's emotional coach. Teach them to recognize, deal with frustration and anger. Third, teach, teach greeting, turn-taking, sharing, empathy, table manners, conversation skills. Fourth, connect emotionally. Smile, hug, kiss, tickle, read, dance, jump, or crawl with your child. These are all ways that we can be emotionally available so that as we continue to be available with our kids, when they do face situations that they need our help, that they need advice and counsel, they'll come to us because they know we're there. And last, we need to choose joy. Th this is a tough one. I can start taking myself too seriously, and sometimes it, it, it drives a man to nuts because people will tell her that I'm really laid back and easygoing and, and like to joke around, and I do. Oftentimes it's masking maybe some other deeper things going on. Because then at, a, at home, Amanda sees the, the real stress and the, the layers come off. And I'm just like, ah. But I just think this is a great reminder to choose joy. Philippians 4 verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. And he's commanding. He's not just saying you're going to feel this. He's saying choose it. Choose joy. Because here's the other thing that has come out in the research of fear. Joy is the antidote to fear. Enjoy life. Enjoy your kids. Enjoy all the moments. This is part of the adventure of parenting. And this is also part of the adventure that we get to hop in on when we start doing life with Jesus. He invites us to participate on this new journey, a new way of being, a new way of living. And it's one that's filled with joy. So much joy. The life that I had chosen to live years ago, that got me nowhere. It got me depressed. It got me just um, in a lot of trouble. It, it wasn't fulfilling. And the moment that I, I took that step of faith or that, that risk of saying, I'm, I'm going to pursue ministry. I'm, I'm going to pursue where I feel God's calling me, where life's the fullest. Man, I became alive. And that's going to be different for every one of us. It's, it's not just a call to ministry. All of life is a call to ministry. If it's accounting or uh, a mechanic or plumber or teacher, whatever it is, but choose joy. You see, God loves seeing us live lives as we are made to live, and he's created us for joy. And it's not a joy that's over there and our joy is over here. They're the same. As we saw at the beginning in the Psalms, it says, take delight in the Lord. And it doesn't mean that there won't be difficulty or struggling, but the joy God speaks of transcends these struggles and difficulties. As one biblical writer puts, the peace of God which transcends all understanding. Sometimes after 
I'm done wrestling with my kids and we're laying on the floor trying to catch our breath or they're just smiling and giggling away. I just lay there and I say a short prayer where I'm like, God, I can't believe I get to live this life. The first year that I began ministry as a youth pastor, I came across this quote and I wrote it down on my desk so I would see it every day and I think it applies to parenting as well. And it's your relationship with Jesus is your ministry. Your relationship with Jesus is your ministry to your kids. Are, are you living it to the fullest? Are, are you in love? Are you enjoying it? You see, it, it begins, this relationship with Jesus begins the moment that we realize our need for him. It's when we kind of realize, like, man, I, I've... I'm participating in the disruption and the harmony that God's intended for the world. And in faith, we receive him as our savior. Because you see, he's always wanted to be in relationship with us right from the beginning. But it's our own mess that, that often makes that divide, that, that creates this chasm and, and what's known that we refer to as sin. But man, he's done everything possible to make this possible for us to enter into this relationship, to live life to the fullest. Choose joy. Choo choose Jesus. I, th I think just in that too, people, sure, they might think you're crazy. They might not understand. You, you, you might lose a few friends, but I think that as we choose Jesus, our life just automatically begins transforming and, and we start finding joy where we had never seen it before. There was an article on grandparenting I read this past week, too, that I'll, I'll share because most of us have our grandparents close by, and, and it really encourages the relationship between grandkids and grandparents. And it studies actually have shown that to live closer to one another actually benefits both the grandkids and the grandparents because it keeps the grandparents younger uh, it says that the grandfathers especially um, do better and live, live longer because they actually, it brings out joy out of them. And I, I didn't do a whole write-up on it, and I wasn't even going to share it, but I'm not just trying to get free babysitting. <laughs> <laughs> but I just think, man, we take it for granted because we moved back a month after Landon was born and, and we had both sets of grandparents close by and you just see your kids come to life. You see the joy in them and then the joy that it brings the grandparents. And as time goes on, as, as you kind of get older and you, you be, you're wiser, you realize you can let the stresses of all these other things start fading away and you can just choose joy. And I think that for someone my age, looking at you guys, I have a lot to learn because you can help us choose joy and say, Kev, these other things that might get you down this week, they're not as important. Choose joy, choose life, choose Jesus. And lastly, I'm, I'm going to end the same way that I have the last couple of weeks, which is extend yourself grace. Extend yourself grace because no one has ever launched this rocket before. If you've already raised your kids and you're sitting on the other side, you can still have an impact and influence on your kids and your grandkids. 
and whether or not you, you might have regrets, wish you did something differently, wish you understood something differently. Just know you did the best you could with the resources you had, the information you had at the time. So although your perspective might change or you wish you could go back and change something, extend yourself grace. Start fresh today. So this week, and as we celebrate Thanksgiving, see what happens if you spend more time enjoying and less time worrying. Because the best gift you can give your kid is to be fully alive yourself. And I just want to read this last thing, which is actually written by Brené Brown, who I've quoted today. The Wholehearted Parenting Manifesto. I've, I've put them on your seats there. And I just think it's such an eloquent and beautifully written manifesto that we can kind of cling to as we seek to parent, grandparent, and just influence kids. It says, above all else, I want you to know that you're loved and you're lovable. You will learn this from my words and actions. The lessons on love are in how I treat you and how I treat myself. I want you to engage with the world from a place of worthiness. You will learn that you are worthy of love, belonging, and joy every time you see me practice self-compassion and embrace my own imperfections. We will practice courage in our family by showing up, letting ourselves be seen, and honoring vulnerability. We will share our stories of struggle and strength. There will always be room in our home for both. We will teach you compassion by practicing compassion with ourselves first, then with each other. We will set and respect boundaries. We will honor hard work, hope, and perseverance. Rest and play will be family values as well as family practices. You will learn accountability and respect by watching me make mistakes and make amends and by watching how I ask for what I need and talk about how I feel. I want you to know joy, so together we will practice gratitude. I want you to feel joy, so together we will learn how to be vulnerable. When uncertainty and scarcity visit, you will be able to draw from the spirit that is a part of our everyday life. Together, we will cry and face fear and grief. I will want to take away your pain, but instead I will sit with you and teach you how to feel it. We will laugh and sing and dance and create. We will always have permission to be ourselves with each other. No matter what, you will always belong here. As you begin your wholehearted journey, the greatest gift that I can give to you is to live and love with my whole heart and to dare greatly. I will not teach or love or show you anything perfectly, but I will let you see me, and I will always hold sacred the gift of seeing you, truly, deeply seeing you. So Heavenly Father, God, you are the perfect parent, and I thank you that you have chosen us that you love us, that you extend grace to us, and that you desire to be in a relationship with all of us. God, help us on this journey toward wholehearted parenting. Help us to not get weighed down by the fears and anxieties of the world, but to name them for what they are and to give them to you and to choose joy. God, thank you for this community here at The Well. Thank you for what you're doing in and through us. And I pray that you be with all of us this evening and this weekend ahead. Help us to just give thanks and to model that to the next generation. In your name we pray. Amen.